Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, welcome to Portico. It is great to have you here this morning. And I want you to get your Bibles out, get your notes out, get your apps out. We're in a series, it's called Redemption Road. And if you're joining us today and you're a guest, we trust you feel right at home. And we hope we didn't freak you out because we do believe Jesus is risen. And uh, we want to share that love and that conviction with you. And those of you that are part of our church family, thank you. We just had tremendous weekend services, and we're looking forward to just spending the morning together with you. We're going to go over to the book of Luke today. Turn to the book of Luke, and if you're new to the Bible, get into the middle, turn to the right, and you're going to find the New Testament, and in the Gospels, turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to go to chapter 24. While you're turning there, I want you to think about what this day represents. Easter Sunday. Of the 365 days on our calendar year, there is no other day that is more controversial, more challenging, and more perplexing to all of us than this particular day. It's surrounded with all kinds of struggle, debate, and misunderstanding. So regardless of your faith orientation, whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, whether you're a skeptic, or whether you're a seeker, or maybe even a believer, or whether you're Christianity, or Islam, or Muslim, or Hinduism, or Sikhism, this one day is pivotal on 365 days of our calendar because it's the one that throws everybody into massive conversation, massive disagreement, and it is probably the most contentious historical event which does not afford any individual the concession to opt out. You have to wrestle with what is celebrated by Christian churches, but greater than that, you have to wrestle with what is historically represented through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The one thing you cannot do You can't dismiss it. So you have to decide, no matter where you are on your faith continuum, what are you going to do with this one day? We take vacation days around it. We invite family over to share meals around it. And we have our opinions about it. But we have to decide, what do we personally believe about Easter Sunday? So set aside the cards and set aside the wishes and set aside all of the intellectual debates that are going on. This is the day that the church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ and others wrestle to understand what does this mean to me. So when it comes to such a miraculous event, even those who claim to be loyal followers of Jesus, don't miss this, even those who claim to be the loyal followers of Jesus struggled with the probability of the resurrection. Now, again, we have history on our side, and so we can almost make our choices in a cavalier way, but they couldn't do that. And we've been looking at the events over the last couple of weeks around the series of activities that have taken place specifically within a week of when Jesus was betrayed, crucified, buried, and then some claim raised back to life. So in these raw faith-challenging moments, when these who were the followers of Jesus wrestled with Did he really rise from the dead? I take great comfort in my own personal life, and I want you to consider this for yourself. Because it's helpful to me that in the middle of these moments where doubts and emotions and questions surface, 
that if those who were the closest to Jesus struggled to come to understand what to believe, that gives me great hope and assurance that God can put up with my doubts and my uncertainties and my confusions. And if he can put up with mine, then you should be, of all people, really blessed. He can put up with yours because you're probably not as bad as me. And so I look at a day like this and I go, isn't it amazing that God would afford us the opportunity not just to peer into history, but to participate in what is infinitely of the most important to humanity, and that is the resurrection of his son. And I want to look at it through the lens of the historical events. So if you're new to the Bible, let me refresh for you what's taking place. And those of you that are celebrating today, you know the story. But if you look at the events that have transpired, here's what we discover. This was the betrayal. This was the crucifixion. And today represents what was proclaimed to be the resurrection day. For those living in the moment, they were seeking to kill Jesus, and they had just been successful. The question we should be asking then, if they successfully handed Jesus over to his death, what would stop them from hunting down the remainder of the members of the sect? So the closest followers of Jesus have gone into hiding, fearful for their lives, fearing that they cannot afford to show themselves in public because of their leader could be taken captive. Who's to keep them safe and secure? Those followers are now in hiding wondering about the future of their lives. The women, the Bible says, had gone to the tomb, hopefully to prepare the body for its final burial, not knowing what they were about to encounter. Then we come to the events surrounding the tomb, and it was a chaotic scene. You have to put it all together. The guards are confused about the events that have just transpired. They're mumbling around apparitions that have appeared and the stone being blown away from the tomb. They're being bribed and paid off so that they could keep their story straight. The women come back and report to the men some astonishing and mind-stretching facts that not only had they gone to the tomb and the stone was rolled away, there was no body in the tomb. There was an apparition that said Jesus is alive, but there was no one there who could verify this. So with all of the reporting going on, there's little wonder that if you were to immerse yourself back at the moment these events were taking place, that there, were, there was fear, there was doubt, there was uncertainty, and certainly, even within the followers, there was a high level of skepticism. So while you contemplate that, where are you on that journey today? Where are you when it comes to considering who Jesus is and what the claims that are made about him, that he's been raised from the dead. So I want to invite you to do something today. Take a walk, a walk with us along the road to Emmaus, and that's where we're going to focus our attention. And it's in Luke 24, and if you have your Bibles, turn there. We're going to go down to verse 13. All I would ask you to do, keep an open mind. God is not afraid of our fear and our doubt and our uncertainty, and he's certainly not afraid of our skepticism. And certainly all we want is to have an open heart and open mind. So listen as we read of the events that are recorded from a historical perspective today. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles, 12 kilometers from Jerusalem. That's west of Jerusalem on their way to Tel Aviv. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces were downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. 
About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our own rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us what they, that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. I love this text because it's filled with this raw, gritty human emotion. It's not padded with all kinds of overt faith statements. In fact, if you could feel the generous strength of their spirit, what you would discover in these two is they're wrestling to understand was what they were hearing in alignment with what they were believing. Could they reconcile that the women maybe were overwrought with emotion? Did they, in fact, see angelic representation? Was Jesus' body actually missing? Did someone steal? So all of these things are swirling through their minds, and as these two human beings are struggling to come to grips with who Jesus was and what happened to him, and what are they going to make with all of these wild claims that a dead man has come back to life? Now think about this. They had known that Jesus had the power to raise the dead. You remember that, right? He had the power to raise the dead. Jesus had raised Lazarus. Everybody was in agreement. That wasn't a problem. But if the one who had the power to raise the dead has died, then who has the power to raise the dead one? Can the dead raise the dead? Is it even possible? See, all those questions are part of the narrative here that we often don't dive into. The only one that they had ever seen with the power to do what they had witnessed had died. And now some are claiming by some power he's been raised back to life. What does this incident that we just read reveal to us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? More importantly, why should it matter to you and why should it matter to me? And what do we do with all this information? So I want you to take some notes this morning. We got some printed notes and it's in the app. Because whether you're highly skeptical or deeply committed, there are some points of commonality that we all share together and we can agree on when it comes to the resurrection. The question is, is what are you going to do with it when we get to the end? Here's the first thing I want you to write down. We can agree on this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's hotly debated. It is contentious, divisive. It creates arguments. It separates friends. It separates families. It separates religious belief systems. It garners more attention and more publicity than we even realize. When you look at the debates and the discussion, it just generates all kinds of emotions. In fact, if you don't believe me, here's a little test. You guys up for a test? All right, so this week, if you, get on the, if you ride the GO train, some of you do, when you ride the GO train on your way to work or when you're meeting with your family later today or you're getting together with your friends later this week, ask them one question. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And then buckle up and watch what happens. Because if you're in a safe community of friends and believers, you're going to get the right answer. But if you're in an open, broader-thinking community filled with skeptics and uncertainty and doubt, you're going to get 
something much more than just a quick answer. In fact, some of you know right away, you might have to roll up your sleeves a bit. You might get into a little bit of a brawl over this one, right? Because it's just a hotly debated issue and it can become extremely contentious. And it has been that way since the day Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, this isn't going to be the first time that it's debated. I want to take you back a few years. 1966, Time magazine published a cover article with three words that flipped a nation upside down. Look at the cover here. This was April the 8th, 1966. Is God... What does it say? Wow. Now, we don't think a lot about that because we ask that all the time. But in 1966, here's what I want to remind you of. 97% of the people that polled, surveyed, said, we believe in God. When they published this article, there was a great debate questioning whether or not God's existence still valued and benefited man. Was there even a deity that we should be worried about? They published this asking, is God dead? It inspired, I was looking at the history of this, it's amazing. It inspired angry sermons. Pastors were up railing against the article. It inspired heartfelt letters, lively debates, and letters to the editor. Why the heat of controversy? Well, if you took the date and plugged it into your Google, here's what you're going to find. That was Good Friday. 1966, on the day that the church was gathering together to celebrate one of the most pivotal experiences and beliefs that they held dear to their lives, they were questioning whether or not there would be a resurrection experience. And believers were stunned to read an article that would question the hope and the sanctity of the deity, and others were wondering if it was time to set aside an archaic belief system and embrace a new way of thinking. This all unfolded when people generally believed in God. Fast forward, 1966 to 2014, when the survey was completed, how many of you believe in the existence of God? The number 97 dropped down to 63%. Fast forward, no, don't fast forward. Roll forward three years. 2017, same survey was put out. The number is now sitting at 56%. Time magazine touched a nerve that many of us come to understand and appreciate, that the resurrection of Jesus is hotly debated. So it didn't stop there. In a little bit of an homage to an earlier era, they published another article in 2017. This time the cover paid tribute to 1966, but it asked a follow-up question. Is truth dead? Now, the lead article had more to do with American politics than deity, But it sparked something much deeper in the psyche of the people reading. Because now we had wrestled with whether or not God was dead. And the question now is, there moral absolutes that we anchor our life upon? Or is truth self-determined? And can we finally set aside the fact that no one has the right to hold absolute truth? Which then raises the question, is Jesus truly the one who he said he is, that I am the way, the truth, and the life? See, it just takes little things like these to trigger conversations, to create questions and cause people to wonder, and that's what brings us together on a Resurrection Sunday. And the skeptics and believers can find common ground because we know that the resurrection of Jesus is hotly debated. So go back to your Bibles and look at Luke 24. Let's join our travelers. And in verse 14, here's what Luke tells us. So they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Over these days, they were walking along this road to Emmaus. 
And Luke immerses us into the humanity of the resurrection that even those who were closest to Jesus in the moment were struggling to understand Everybody had their own view. Everybody had their own perspective. And these two certainly had their own doubts. They had their own questions. And as they're walking and talking, here's what Luke brings to the surface of the text that all of us should ask. What did they believe about Jesus? What did they truly believe about Jesus Christ? And that that just postures it for me to ask myself, what do I believe? Do I accept indoctrination that's been handed down from generation to generation? Do I accept catechism? Do I accept book knowledge? Do I accept speaker information? Or have I researched for myself and wrestled for myself and come to the pure conviction of heart that I know what I know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because I've had an encounter with the resurrected one? C.S. Lewis, quoted earlier by Nicky Gumbel on that video, said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, but if it is true, It is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And that's something we need to wrestle with. Because Christianity is not simply a sideline show that we add into the mix of religious systems. It is central to the conviction of what we believe about the future for all humanity. So we come to common ground that it's hotly debated. Number two, if you're taking notes today, write this down. I think we can agree on this. The resurrection of Jesus is deeply personal. It's deeply personal. I've come to appreciate the unique manner in which God approaches us in our humanity, particularly when he comes in moments like this where there are so many moments of uncertainty that we just don't know what to do. And we have them, don't we? Pain, loss, disappointment, grief. You bubble those to the surface of your life, and immediately you start to wrestle with, is God truly alive? Does he care about me? And what does he have to do with my particular life? So I go back into the story on the road to Emmaus, and I find these two men walking together. Look at verses 15 and 16. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up, and he walked along with them, and they were kept from recognizing him. Now, whoa, 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 this is interesting. Have you ever thought about this text? Like, very, very carefully, there's a couple of things that we should be asking here. How did Jesus mask his appearance so that these two who were close followers, so the Bible tells us, right, everybody agreed, they were followers, they were close followers of Jesus, so they understood who he was. How was it possible for Jesus to mask his true identity and not reveal himself to to them in that moment? Here was my answer. This has the makings of another Mission Impossible movie with Ethan Hunt. I think it's that 3D mask imaging thing. Jesus had the corner on this before. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just some of you are going, wow, that's really cool. I've got to write that down. So we see in here God's ability to divinely operate within the realm of our lives and yet keep his exposure at the time and choosing that he wants to reveal it. So that was one question. The second part for me is why did Jesus, and maybe this is more fundamental, Why did Jesus choose to withhold his true identity from these two men? I mean, after all, if if they're his followers and friends, and if they're so emotionally distraught and confused about the circumstances that have just transpired, why would he not reveal himself? These were two that had put themselves in harm's way, choosing to belong to the group of people that the religious authorities and the civil authorities had deemed to be a rogue sect, and they should be eliminated. 
So what speaks to me here about the text is that God understands that when we're in the middle of some of our greatest emotional turmoil, the power demonstration doesn't give us convincing evidence of his existence. He allows us to wrestle with our doubts. And he allows us to wrestle with our confusion. Because it's in our doubts and in our confusion, and maybe even in our skepticism, that we come to the raw realization of who we are and how much we actually do need God. Because sometimes we are so strong and self-secure that we resist God's presence in our lives. But it's in the moments of our weakness when we can drop our guard and be honest about the confusion and uncertainty that we have that God finds an entrance into our hearts. And watch how Jesus does this. He asks a leading question. So get the picture. They're two walking down the road, chatting together. They're going, can you believe what the women said? No, I can't believe what the women said. Do you believe in angels? I think so. And so they're having this conversation, and a stranger walks up beside them, and he asks, what are you talking about? And if you look at the text carefully, Luke records some of the humanity in the text here. He says that they came to a standstill. It arrested them in that moment. And even described that there was a sadness etched into their face. The emotional turmoil of the last couple of days had already worn itself into their countenance. You could see on the faces the disappointment, confusion, and the stranger whom we know to be Jesus, but they didn't know. He says, what are you guys talking about? And then look what Luke tells us. I love God. I love how he plays with this. Cleopas looks at this guy and he goes... Are you kidding me? My interpretation. Where have you been for these last few days? How could you not know about all the events that have taken place in Jerusalem? Those of you that were with us last week, I shared this with you. Remember when Jesus came to Jerusalem, it said, and the entire city was what? Stirred at his arrival. Everybody knew about Jesus. So when Cleopas approaches and speaks to this stranger, what he's speaking to is, how could you possibly have been anywhere near Jerusalem and not have known about what has just transpired? And so this stranger chooses to walk along beside them. And they wrestle through thoughts and questions, confusing conversations, different presentations, even guilt. And he simply listened to these two as they processed their thoughts in an attempt to construct a plausible explanation for everything that had just happened. And then the Bible says when they reached the place where they were about to stop, they invite the stranger in to have a meal with them. Go to verse 30, Luke 24. They sit down at a table together, not a Starbucks. They're going to have a meal here. And when he sat at the table with him, he took bread, and he gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And I love this. He disappeared from their sight. Now, would that not freak you out? Isn't God amazing? Jesus waits to the moment where he could sit and do something that was familiar. And they had seen this before. And there was something about the manner in which he took that bread and he broke that bread. This is my body broken for you and their eyes are open I love how God approaches us in the moments of our weakness and our uncertainty and our pain and our disappointment friends when we are living at the heights of our life 
we don't have room for God. But when we're in the midst of our brokenness, all of us make room for anyone who can bring hope and comfort and understanding. Our faith, our faith is not rooted in religion. It's rooted in relationship. And we see how the resurrection of Jesus is so deeply personal and vital to us. And I would say if we were honest in this room today, for those who have been watching and listening or maybe you're watching online right now, when we bring our collection of emotions to God and we're honest about the uncertainty and the disappointments that we experience and we filter through our traditions and we filter through our beliefs and the teachings that we've received and the hesitations that we have, when we bring all of this to God in an attempt to find a plausible explanation, God reveals himself to us. What is it that prevents you from seeing God in your story? That's a good question. See, for them, they couldn't get over what had just transpired. They couldn't get past all the thoughts and disappointments they experienced. These were built up much bigger than their ability to have a faith in what Jesus had promised he would do. And the question that I have for them is the question I bring back into my life and into your life. What is it in our lives that prevents us from seeing God in our story? Because he's there. This is the God who loved you so much that he created you. This is the God that loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus so that he would be born on Christmas. This is the God that loved you so much that he sent his son to die on Calvary. This is the God that loved you so much that by his power he raised him back to life. This is the God who loved you so much that when Jesus ascended, he promised, I will come again. And this is the God who said, if you believe, you will live with me forever. This is the power, and it's deeply personal. And this is the familiar tone that comes from Christ on the resurrection. We have a resurrected Savior And he is deeply personal and involved in the affairs of our lives. Number three, if you're taking notes, here's another point of common ground for us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demands a response. I said this at the outset of my message, that regardless of where you fall, of the 365 days in the year that fall on our calendar, Easter Sunday is probably the most contentious and challenging. But you can't dismiss it. You have to deal with it. It demands that you address it. And it's what I call a watershed moment in life. A watershed moment describes what happens when rain hits the apex of a roof and you see the water having to choose which side it's going to go down. And we have an image for you you can look at. And as rain hits the top of the roof, it has to choose, does it go to the left, does it go to the right? But it can't be ambivalent. It can't ride on the ridge of the roof. It's got to roll down one of those two sides. And this is what the resurrection is to us today. When it comes to faith, Wrestling through who Jesus is and what he has done for us is the most pivotal choice we make in our lives, and we don't have the luxury of opting out. You either say you believe or you don't believe. And you can say, well, I'm not sure, but unsure is still a choice. So you're either a believer or you've opted out to say, I don't believe. But it's watershed to who we are and how we live our lives. And we see this in the very story that we read earlier today. If your Bibles are open still, go to Luke 24, 32 to 34. So here are the two after Jesus has left them. And they say this. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together saying, It is true. I love this text. Because two things take place in the text. 
they go back and they make a declaration to their friends. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt. See, their watershed moment was right there in a restaurant, seated with Jesus. He reveals himself and he goes, now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt it is true. And they go back and they tell everybody. But can I back you up just for a moment? Look what those words said in the verse. Were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us along the road? Why is that important to us? So often the voice of God is speaking to us in moments before we recognize who he is. And you might be in the room listening to me and you go, well, Doug, I don't understand that. It's when you put your head on the pillow at night and you lay down and you begin to ask questions and there's a voice in there going, do you believe that? It's when you hear somebody stand up and talk to you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and there's a disequilibrium inside of your heart and there's a little bit of a dissonance because you've chosen not to really embrace anything and yet there's something that compels you to go. You should look into this a little bit more. See, God speaks into our worlds and into our personal lives even in the moments that we don't see him. And I think all of us in the room could attest to that. They did. It just took the moment for Jesus to reveal himself for them to go backwards and go, he was there all along. Friends, that's the beauty of who God is. He's not only deeply personal, but he brings us to the place where it demands a choice. It demands a response. What are you going to do with who Jesus is? That's what Easter Sunday is all about. And the burning question in their heart is Jesus is who he claimed to be. Francis Collin is one of the greatest scientists of our time. He was director of the Human Genome Project, mapping the three billion letters of the human DNA, considered by many to be the most significant scientific undertaking of our time. Brilliant minds. But I want you to listen to Francis as he has his own watershed moment, and he has to come to grips with, who do I believe Jesus to be, and what do I believe about Christianity? Watch this. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, My father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, When I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, She had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, What do you believe, doctor? There's a question. What do you believe? How would you answer that question in the moments? The resurrection has no room for ambivalence, noncommittal, or indifference. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us to a watershed moment where we have to make a choice. Now, you may choose to ignore the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but you can't dismiss it. You can't do away with it, and it demands a response. So when it comes to the resurrection and we look at the power of the presentation, for many of us, we gather together on a day like this and we walk with those on the road to Emmaus and here's what we know in our hearts. Our hearts burn within us because the Spirit of God within us gives us that conviction that what? Jesus is alive. That's why we greet each other on Easter Sunday. He is risen. Yes, He is risen indeed. And there's something within us that burns within our heart because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, though we can't put the pieces of evidence together, we have the conviction of the Spirit of God within us that we know that Jesus is alive. But with all the portrayal and all of the information and all of the evidence and the historical accuracy of His life recorded in Scripture for us, it all comes down to this. What do you choose to believe about Jesus Christ. And if you've chosen to believe that Jesus is alive, then friends, it should change the way you live. And if you haven't chosen that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the most beautiful part of the story is this, that God has brought you here for this very purpose this day. Because he invites all of us to understand that we can have a relationship and the forgiveness of sins with him through his son Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say? Salvation is found in no other name under heaven, but in Jesus Christ and Him alone. So when I look at the resurrection and I walk the road to Emmaus, I leave you with this. For those of us that celebrate who Jesus is, we leave today with joy in our hearts and confirmation that we know, that we know, that we know that He is alive. But if you haven't made your choice yet, can I remind you, you already have. And God invites you to make the right choice. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC. 